0: PDPW On Demand. Here's Bill Baker. Hello, and thank you for joining us this week on the PDPW Podcast. You know, usually when we hear the word conspiracy, there's a negative connotation to it. But today, Servant Leadership Trainer Tom Thibodeau joins us to tell us about a conspiracy involving moral excellence in this week's podcast titled The Conspiracy of Goodness. Bill, it's always good to talk with you. We've developed a friendship here during these podcasts. Two gentlemen from different parts of the country working for a common good. I dare say we're not unlike other people within the country. People from different geographical parts. People from different economic statuses. People from different racial and ethnic backgrounds. Different generations. Different religious beliefs. But it's not the difference that binds us together. It's our commitment to goodness. There's a marvelous movie called Weapons of the Spirit. It's about the people of La Chambeau, France. La Chambeau is in the mountains of northern France. And during the Second World War, they hid and saved the lives of over 5,000 Jews and gypsies. They took families into their homes, hid them, in their haylofts, hid them in their basements in their root cellars. Uh, they even printed out false passports and put them into beehives, recognizing that the Nazi or the Gestapo would never put their hand inside a beehive. And so they were very clever and thoughtful rural people. They knew what it was like to have been persecuted themselves, and they believed in the goodness and dignity of all people. A man who was born in La Chambord in the Second World War, he was born there to, to his Jewish parents, and the people of La Chambol got he and his family into Switzerland, and he was saved. He comes after a while as immigrants to the United States, and at four years of age, he wants to go back and find the family that saved his life, find the family that saved his mother and father's life and gave them new opportunities. So he goes back to La Chambol with a documentary crew and cannot find the family that was there, but he found one of their neighbors. And here's this old, old woman as a babushka, as all the all the stories of her life written into the lines of her face. She has one tooth in the middle of her mouth. And he asked her a question. Why were you all willing to risk your lives to save strangers, those of us who are Jewish and gypsy? You sacrificed your lives, your well-being. Any one of you could have been killed if you were caught. Why did you do it?" And the woman smiled, and she said, I guess we just got all caught up in a conspiracy of goodness. A conspiracy of goodness. I showed the film in a class, and at the end of the class, I looked at my students, I said, what I'd like you to do tomorrow, and this next week for your assignment. Uh, No papers. I want you to go out and get involved in the conspiracy of goodness. And then come back next week and tell us a story about it. So we left the classroom that night. People are kind of hesitant. They're not exactly sure what I meant, but they they understood a conspiracy of goodness. This was going to stretch all of them. So people come back the next Monday night. It's an evening class. And I said, well, did anybody have a chance to get involved in a conspiracy of goodness? And a woman raised her hand, and she said, first off, I want to tell you this. I wasn't quite happy with that. I'm here in college. I thought I'd be writing papers and doing research, and here you are showing us a film and saying, get involved in Conspiracy of Goodness. I don't have time for Conspiracy of Goodness. I'm a, I'm a mother. I'm a parent. I got a part-time job, and I'm going to school in the evenings to get involved in Conspiracy of Goodness. And I went home that night. I told my, my husband, I wish we had a different professor, somebody that was just kind of normal. Conspiracy of Goodness. How am I going to get involved? and a conspiracy of goodness. And I'm muttering all night long about this. And my husband said, well, just just kind of pay attention. Stay awake, stay aware, see what happens. Well, she said the next morning we get up and I have the morning off. I don't have to go into work. And my husband, we have breakfast together with our children. He takes the children off to school and leaves me the morning paper. On the front page of the morning paper is a father carrying his five-year-old little girl out of a house. Their house had started on fire, and the little girl had smoke inhalation, and the father was then taken with the child to uh, Madison to a special unit and spoke smoke inhalation. And it said later that the mother had two smaller children, a one-year-old and a three-year-old, and she was being put up in a motel by the Red Cross. And the woman kind of reads the paper, and she goes back, and she comes back, and she looks at the picture of that father, and she realizes that she had just sent her five-year-old off to school, and she thought, conspiracy of goodness. She said, at my house, if the washing machine breaks down, uh, it's it's, it's, it's a catastrophe. What is it to lose your things in a house fire? And then she thinks about this mother and two children in a motel. So she calls the Red Cross and said, listen, I'd like to meet that uh, mother and in uh, those in those children. See what I can do to help today. And the one that across Crossed. Oh, All that just would be wonderful. They're kind of in shock right now. and very scared. So she meets her at the motel and she introduces herself and she said, "Listen, I saw the picture. How's your daughter and your husband?" She said, "My husband's okay, but my daughter is really struggling and we're very worried." She set up. Uh, listen, can I do your laundry for you today? I, if some of the laundry breaks down miles, so we don't have any clean clothes. Can I do your laundry? And the woman said, "Well, oh, that'd be wonderful, but all we have is the clothes on our back. And the woman from the Red Cross said, listen, I'll call the fire marshal. You two can go back up to the house and get, get some of your clothes if you can find them, and I'll watch the children. So this stranger takes another woman who's just lost everything back to her home, and they rummage through, and they pull out as much clothes and bedding as they can, she takes the woman back to her motel and says, could you use anything else? She said, well, we don't have any groceries or haven't had a hot meal. She said, I'll take care of that. You just take care of your children today. So she goes to a laundromat and she lays out 22 loads of wash. The woman from the laundromat comes over and says, wow, you got a lot of wash. And She said, well not really mine." And she begins to tell the story of the woman at the motel, and she had lost everything and this stuff was smoke damaged. And so the woman at the laundromat said, listen, you don't need to be paying for that. We'll pay for that. So they got to work and started taking care of the laundry. The woman calls up a couple of friends and said, listen, there's this woman up in the hotel, she's got two small children, could you go to the store and get some groceries, get things that they could prepare in their rooms, get some cereal bowls, and they have a little refrigerator out there, you might want to get them some, some eating utensils. She calls another friend and said, would you mind making a, a warm supper for them tonight, some kind of casserole, you know, and maybe a little bit of dessert for, for the kids and this mother. And uh, at 3 o'clock, she says to the woman at the laundromat, listen, uh, my daughter's playing volleyball. I'll be back in an hour. She's watching a little bit of the volleyball, then I'll be back. She comes back an hour. The woman and her assistant at the laundromat had folded 22 loads of laundry and had them in boxes waiting for her. She thanks them. She goes and she picks up her, her friend who had made dinner. She goes and picks up the other friend who had bought groceries and these three women go up to this motel room with uh, 22 bowls of clean laundry for this mother and two small children. They provide her groceries. They ask what else that she could use. They have a hot meal for and they spend some time in conversation. Then they organize other friends who are willing to come each night and help this mother and children. They surround them with people who are caring about them. The mother's very worried. The little girl is still in intensive care. She said uh, they have to rebuild their house. They have nothing. She said 72 churches here in Lacrosse. I uh, names and addresses of all those churches. Uh, I think if everybody in the class would call five churches and give them this to put into their bulletin, that we could raise some money to help this family. She said, Who wants to help in this conspiracy of goodness? Tom, oh, I refuse. And so all of us took the names of churches, and we asked them to put in the bulletin and tell the story about a family that had lost everything in a fire. And this woman had set up a bank account for them in their fire fund. And people started sending in money, and because I'd called some of the people, my name was, was an article in the paper. I start getting checks, and i get this one with a $1 bill attached with a safety pin. Dear friends, this is all I have until the last of the month, but I want you to have it for that family and those children. You people are God sent. One dollar bills, $10 bills, close to $15,000. Unfortunately, the little girl died of smoking elation. And then the family had to plan a funeral. And one of the people in our class had lost a child. She knew how expensive a funeral could be and a headstone, so she stops at a memorial company and tells them the story and said, would you have a memorial for this family? He said, well, a stone came in, the corner was chipped. Would that be okay? She said, that would be fine. So on the day of the funeral, there's a beautiful memorial. And here's this family who lost their five-year-old. Surrounded by all these people who had done laundry and made meals and contributed. it. So this family was not alone and they had $15,000. Not to bring back a little girl, but to start a new hope, because one woman had the audacity to begin a conspiracy of goodness. This is how it works. In all of our communities, each and every day, we see good people coming together, working together for our greater good on behalf of friends and neighbors and complete strangers. Conspiracy comes from two Latin words, cum spiritus, which means to breathe together, to be in concert with each other, to recognize that the life force that flows through me flows through you. And yet we know that we're all connected. We have so much more in common than what divides us. I was in graduate school in Seattle University back in the nineteen seventy-three. I only had $5 a week for spending money, and even in 1973, uh, $5 a week wasn't much. Then I got there, and uh, I had to put eight, I had $40, so I put eight $5 bills in individual envelopes. Knowing myself well enough, I knew that if I left that 40 bucks in my pocket, I could spend it all in one week, but I, I parceled it out. I had a food uh, ticket in the, in the lunchroom through Friday night, but Saturday and Sunday I'd be on my own. So I had to kind of parcel out my, my, my money so I'd have enough uh, for, for Saturday and Sunday for a meal. Well, um, I don't know if it was a gift or a curse, but I found a tavern not too far from the university that on Wednesday nights had dollar pitchers. So on uh, Thursday morning I'm pretty much down to about uh, $2 or $3 a week after a night out. Um, I would also uh, found another little place not far from the from, from the college where you could shoot pool. And I'd go up there, and I'd just kind of sit. And back in the day, you put your quarter on the rail, and you wait your turn. And I'm up there, and I watch everybody playing pool. And there's this gentleman that's limping around the table, and he's wiping everybody out. Pretty soon, it's my turn, and I put my quarter in. The balls come out, and we rack them up. And he says, hi, my name's Bud. I said, hi, Bud, my name's Tom. You're around, from, you're around from these parts. I said, no, I'm down here going to school at Seattle University. I come up here once or twice a week just to reflect. He said, well, I come up here two or three times a week. He said, my, my wife died and my boys moved away. They noticed I lived. He said, I worked at a cement factory and I got a hip injury. And so I'm up here and I talk to people and I love shooting pool. And we're shooting pool. Pretty soon the only balls left in the table are mine. And he walks over and says, hey, Tom, can you cook a turkey? I said, yes, sir, I can. He said, what are you doing on Sunday? I said, nothing. He said, would you like to come to my house to cook a turkey? I'm thinking to myself, it's the weekend, I have no food, turkey? Yes, I can. He writes down his address on a cocktail napkin, and Sunday morning I go to church, and then I go and I find his house in the inner city, and it's a house where the porch is kind of slanted, and it's got a a rickety screen door, and I knock on it, not too hard. Yeah, Tom, yeah, come on in. I walk in, and there's Bud, man that I'd met shooting pool and sitting in his living room watching speedboat races on Lake Washington. He has another older friend sitting there, and another young mother with her child. He said, "Yeah, Tommy, said, "the turkeys in the, in the kitchen." Well, his wife had died two years previously, and I don't believe anybody had given that kitchen a thorough cleaning for that time. And so here I am. In a guy's kitchen that I had met shooting pool at a local tavern, I'm cleaning out his kitchen. I'm washing up the turkey. I'm going through the drawers, see what I could find to make some dressing. I get it all made. I put it in the oven, and the oven door comes off in my hand. Well, I try to get it back on, and I do, and I take a stool, and I push it up against the side, and I said, hey, bud, I'm going to just go up to the park here to play a little jazz. I'll be back in a couple of hours. Well, I come back up in two hours and the place is jammed with people that Bud had invited in from the neighborhood. Everybody had brought a gift and a package. There were a little pistachio jello there. There was a little uh, potato salad and coleslaw and chocolate pudding. Everybody had a little something to offer. And here's a room filled with older people and younger people. There were white people and black people. There were Asian people. They were the people that Bud had called together. And there I am standing next to a host slicing off turkey and people coming and helping themselves, to all the food offerings that have been brought by their neighbors. And I looked at what was taking place in that kitchen, and I said to Bud, Bud, this is great. This is really great. And he said, you know, Tom, when you ain't got much, you give yourself. When you ain't got much, you give yourself. To join a conspiracy of goodness is the gift of yourself. We don't have to have a lot of money. We don't have to have a lot of resources. What we have to have is a soul full of grace and a heart generated by love. Wanting to make friends out of strangers, wanting to create neighborhoods where everybody is welcome, wanting to live in a community where we are all fellow citizens, joining in for a good greater than ourselves. One of those people was my father-in-law, Norm Holtz, from Reedsburg, Wisconsin. Norm was 15 in his sophomore year, but felt the call to serve. He joined the United States Navy. He didn't know how to swim, so he paid another guy to take his swimming test So he could get into the Navy. Age 16, he's on uh, on a ship, and he was in Pearl Harbor right next to the Arizona. Norm, at age 16 and 17, was very good with numbers, and he became a bookkeeper. So he was in charge of making sure that everybody got paid. Quartermaster, if you will. Very good with the books. Young guy. After the war, age 20, after serving for four years, comes back to Reedsburg, Wisconsin, and Gets married, starts uh, working in a shoe store. A man from the bank says, Norm, you're a veteran. You got a lot of spunk. Listen, here's a gas station in town that needs to needs to stay open. i wonder wondering if you'd be willing to buy it. I'll loan you the money. And Norm bought that gas station. And he had four lovely children. And he worked hard six days a week. One of those children, my wife. And then on the birth of his fifth child, his wife died in childbirth, leaving him with five small children and a gas station. His in-laws moved in and helped care for the children, and he continued to work hard, very hard, so they'd all have a living. On the first Christmas Eve, when I was courting his daughter, and you know it's getting serious when you get invited home for Christmas. We had had dinner, and then after their dinner, their Christmas holiday cheer was brandy slushes. And if you never had a brandy slush this year at Christmas, look it up. You'll enjoy them, and it won't be your last. And we're having brandy slushes, and we're playing the little cards and the phone rings. See, Norm had sold his gas station, and had become an oil company with deliver fuel oil. It's Christmas Day. It's about 10 or 15 degrees below zero, and... Norm gets a call from a family who doesn't have much money if any money at all and they're out of fuel oil and Norm puts on his coveralls his hats, his boots, his mittens 15 below zero goes out and gets in his oil truck to bring fuel oil to a family that was cold and hungry on Christmas day Norm said as long as I'm alive no child is going to be cold and hungry on Christmas. See, he grew up at a time in which when he was young, they had not much money. He was cold and hungry on Christmas. Being a part of the U.S. Navy gave him purpose and now he's doing the same for his community. Norm Holtz, U.S. Navy veteran, father, Grandfather, citizen, friend, leader in the conspiracy of goodness. Which of us is not capable of any of this? Which of us cannot join with other people for our greater good? We don't have to have much money. We don't have to have many resources. We might not even have enough energy, but we have goodness going for us, and that's the way out. Good work hard work, noble work. Now would be a good time to join or start a conspiracy of goodness. Our thanks to Tom Thibodeau for today's message. Tom, a distinguished professor of servant leadership at Viterbo University. And for archived podcasts and more on-demand programs, and for more on the professional development for today's dairy producer, head to PDPW's free website at pdpw.org. Until next time, have a safe and productive week.